Milk minute, milk minute, milk minute, yeah. This is Maureen Farrell and Heather O'Neill, and this is the Milk Minute. We're midwives and lactation professionals, bringing you the most up-to-date evidence for all things lactation, so you can feel more confident about feeding your baby, body positivity, relationships, and mental health. Plus, we laugh a little or a lot along the way. So join us for another episode. Welcome to our 50th episode of the Milk Minute Podcast. <laughs> I love it. You didn't see that coming, did you? Did not. Took me by surprise. <laughs> what a whirlwind of spontaneity you are, Heather. Yep, I'll be ready to receive my Grammy shortly. Just, you know, send it over here. Uh, well, if that didn't clue you in, guys, this is our 50th episode. Yeah, I can't believe it. This podcast is nine months old. Oh, it's a baby. We had it. We had a baby. We've grown it. We're proud of it. You know, when people are like, oh my God, how old is your podcast? I'm like, nine months. It's it's ready. It's term. It is term. I'm I'm also ready and term. <laughs> oh, you can. Yeah. Yeah, you are. You're ready to just drop it any minute now. Yes. Well, that's what we're hoping. Maureen's hoping that her water breaks right now. <laughs> no, not not right now because then I'm not making it home to have a baby probably. <laughs> Maybe it's because I want it to break right now so you oh can have God. your baby at my house. No, I'm hoping I drive home tonight. I get in my Epsom salt bath, which is like literally like four pounds of Epsom salt per bath these days. <laughs> um, and then and then that can all happen. Okay. Well, whatever you want. It's your, it's your world. We're just living in it. <laughs> Let's wait for this alcove, baby. I can't wait. <sighs> I can't wait to record with this baby in a in a sling in the front. Yep. I know. I can't wait for this baby not to be, like, actually in my pelvis yeah. while we record. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I haven't been a very good podcast host to my friend Maureen because what she really needs is, like, a standing desk. <laughs> and I really probably should have spent Just some have time. a hard-ass stool for me to sit on. <laughs> Kind I'm sorry. Feels, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But listen, today it's not about us. It's about you. We're, it is. I mean, it's also about us, but it's about, I don't know what it's about. We're giving you the reins. Yeah. 50th episode. We're going to name things that come in groups of 50 for the whole time. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. This is our Ask Me Anything episode. Yep, we're giving you the reins, so people. Fun. Yeah, so we, we, we asked people to ask us anything. Mm-hmm. And um, they provided, and we're just gonna go down the list and answer. And really, I don't, I don't know. They might be about breastfeeding. It might not. Just buckle up, friends. Yeah, this is. You know, we get kind of technical in some of our episodes for a good reason because you yeah. know we are based in research and evidence based advice. But we realize that that means that you don't get to hear a lot of our behind-the-scenes, real-life stories that other people give away on their podcast. Mm-hmm. So we thought, what better time? Yeah, so we're not starting with a listener question. The whole thing is a listener question. And we're also not going to end with an award in the alcove because we get that today. We do we get, get that today. We get that award. <laughs> I mean, we will end with it, but spoiler yeah, we it's us. Spoiler, it's us. <laughs> but stick around to the end anyway. Yeah. 
Hey, Heather, can I take a minute to tell you about Happy Tummy? Oh, I really wish you would. Happy Tummy has natural products to help resolve the symptoms of colic, gas, or constipation for babies. Oh, well, that sounds great for babies that just are constantly in pain and discomfort from tummy troubles. And it happens. You know, as your baby is mm-hmm. adjusting to its new environment, its tummy's going to get upset sometimes, just like yours or mine. Yeah. And these products are natural and external, so no drops or drugs. Oh, don't even get me started on the gas drops. (laughs) So if you're interested in that, you can look up these wonderful soft tummy wraps for baby. They combine heat and herbal treatment. And honestly, they're wonderful. I want one for me. And if you want one for you, too, they have adult products, too. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. My cramps have been a little bit (laughs) much lately. Absolutely. So how do I get one? Head over to happytummy.com. And use our discount code MILKMINUTE10 for 10% off. Oh, thank you. I'm going to go buy myself a menstrual cramp wrap. Mm -hmm. Make your tummy happy. Mm, Such (laughs) a happy tummy. All right. Well, so the first question we got, of course, is what's the craziest home birth experience? I'm so sorry to disappoint, guys. I'm not answering that question. And I know it's like, you know, I love to swap birth stories and especially when we're meeting with midwives but Heather and I just had a long conversation about this because we were like wow what is the craziest home birth we've ever attended and then I was like man I just really don't like honestly most of what makes them kind of crazy is crazy things people say or do and it didn't really feel respectful to, (laughs) to talk about that on a public podcast in that way yeah and I don't want to be mean anybody unfortunately i couldn't think of one where i was like oh a hurricane made this crazy that just hasn't (laughs) happened to me (laughs) yeah sorry (laughs) yeah not yet so yeah we're not going to answer that one but only because we respect you all so much but whatever the next one is i'll answer it heather okay well let me ask you maureen talk to me about dangle pumping This sounds like some crazy yoga move. What do you need? How do you do it? How much is my partner going to laugh at me? And this is from Maggie. Yeah, great question. Dangle pumping or feeding is, uh, it is hilarious. It is a funny yoga move. But there are, like, really there's one time I recommend it. When we have a really stubborn clogged duct that just the massaging and the warm compresses and blah, 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 that's just not cutting it. Sometimes... Dangle, feeding or pumping, which literally looks like you feeding in on like hands and knees with your baby below you or your pump attached and your breasts are just like hanging in the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it just changes the dynamics of all of your ducts and your tissue and loosens things up and also lets you position baby or pump in a new way that might get new suction in a new direction. It becomes utterly fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> but you, to to dangle pump, like, you either have to be really good at holding that flange in place or, like, um, kind of use, like, a looser pumping bra. Mm-hmm. And just be aware that some of the flanges have reverse backflow protectors or... <laughs> it is, uh, it's way harder to do this in pump, let me just say. Yeah. But just be aware of spillage. Yeah. Like, you don't want a little hole in the back to be an, another escape route for your milk to get out, so... Just be aware while you're dangle pumping. I was 100% a dangle pumper. I would dangle every time. <laughs> I would pump, and then when I'd see it start to kind of dribble out, I'd lean over, and I'd be like, well, let's just see if we can't get a little bit more out. And I'd dangle, and I'd massage and dangle. And that is always when the FedEx man would come. <laughs> every damn time. 
on. Like, I don't have a shirt on. This thing is happening. I'm like, yeah. It's a compromising position, everybody. Yes, someone will probably laugh at you if they see you like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fine. But it works. Yeah. And you know what? When when he's on a podcast someday and somebody asks, what's the craziest delivery you've ever made? He's going to be like, this one time. Every time I went to this chick's house, she was hooked up to a pump and leaned she, over she, like a cow. Like a cow? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine. He loves me. All right. How many births have you been a part of? That's a good question. That's from I actually, Michelle. I did tally the other day. And I think I had almost reached 70. Ooh. I was really close, but I remember being somewhere in, in between 65 and 70, and then I was got distracted, and I may not have included them all. But I have, like, a little private birth journal where I try to do, like, births I attended as a friend, midwife, doula, ones I observed in the hospital. Like, just really try to get every single time I saw a baby come out in there. I don't know the answer to that for mm-hmm. me. I do know that I was required to have 40 to become a nurse midwife, so I got 42 during that program, but then owned a home birth business, so we did six before I sold that, but how many have you been a part of? I have no idea, because right. as a labor and delivery nurse, hundreds, hundreds. Right. Hundreds. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Can we count Facebook? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Thousands, millions. Yeah. Well, and and like out of the almost 70 I've done, almost all of those have been out of hospital too, which is like such a different timeline than the hospital births. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. You know, because like when I did spend a little bit of time at the hospital, it was like, oh, you just go in that room and watch that one, then go to that room and watch that one. Yeah. (laughs) And those are, you know, they're not all the same, but... There's similar no. recipes. Good good experience, but yeah, just like totally different timeline. N- neither of us are the kind of midwives who've attended like 5,000 births yet. Sorry. Call me in 30 years. <laughs> well, Michelle had a follow-up question oh, for you. This is it? for you. Oh. Maureen, since you live on a farm, how many animals have you assisted during birth? You know what the answer is? Zero. Because I n- am never there. I'm never there when they have their babies. So much for animal husbandry. <laughs> I mean... Like, I, okay, I did once assist a chicken in laying an egg that was stuck. That's a chicken birth. Ew. Uh, it's stuck in the chute? Yeah. Older chickens sometimes lay these really, really big eggs and they get wow. stuck because their pelvis is also narrow. It's weird. Wait a minute. Yeah. I have some questions. So did you put on a glove and lube up your finger and go up its... Cloaca? Cloaca, yeah. <laughs> I did not. I just kind of, like... Held the chicken under one arm so its butt was facing outward and then kind of, kind of like your hand expressing, just sort of worked back around the cloaca and like slowly squeezed out the egg. Ew. PETA is going to call you. <laughs> well, that chicken would have died. That can't be how you do it. The chicken would have died. You, you milked her cloaca? I mean, kind of. I don't know, know that I've ever seen a cloaca, but does it stick out? It's just a hole. So how did you start from behind? Well, because it's not like they're rigid. They're squishy, you know? (laughs) I mean, it's like their pelvis is a really different shape. It's like more open in certain places. So I kind of just like... 
pressed back in the open spots where I could find and kind of like, like gently. Good thing that chicken had you because if she had me, I'd be like, girl, bye. (laughs) I've also assisted a couple of uh, different birds out of their eggs. You know, who, like, I'm, like, watching them hatch, and I'm, like, come on, come on, come on. Oh, God, you're still not out. And then help that one out that was not going to make it. It's because of you that they're not <laughs> evolving to ha- have an egg tooth. Definitely not because of me, because of, like, how many <laughs> generations of humans who have messed <laughs> up these birds. Anyway, they should not lay an egg a day. <laughs> but snakes have an egg tooth on their head. Yeah, so do chickens. They do? On their beaks, yeah. God, It falls off. Good thing babies don't have egg tooth on their... <laughs> I mean, honestly, usually the ones that need help don't end up making it. But I always figured, like, well, I'm here. I may as well just... I'm a midwife, so... Help them out and see if it <laughs> see if it happens. Some of them survive, whatever. Well, here's one from our friend Lindsay. Where's the weirdest place your baby's ever pooped? <laughs> Which baby? But <laughs> So my son pooped at Ikea on the way home from a trip to from New York. So we went to visit my family on Long Island and we were driving back to West Virginia and I don't know what I was thinking as a single mom taking a child who was 18 months old, you know, that far. What what are we ever thinking? I don't know, but I was down to my last diaper. <laughs> Changed him at the Cracker Barrel, got to Ikea, because he kept telling me he had to poop, and I was like, oh my god, it's the last diaper, what do I do? So he gets out of the car, goes into Ikea, overcome with toddler happiness from all the stuff to jump on and play on, runs and runs and runs and runs and runs, and eventually poops, and I'm like, great, so we're two hours from home, I change him, wrap him in Ikea paper towels, we're driving home naked, put him back in the car seat, and I was like... Do not go in the car. But if you do, it's my own fault. I should have packed just one more diaper. But my daughter's funniest one was we were changing her in the dark. And it was she was pretty new to being alive, you know. She had yeah. only been earth sad maybe like a month. And so she's on the changing table, and it's kind of tucked into this little corner. And I lift her legs up, and my husband was there with me in the dark for some reason because he loves me. And she lets out this huge toot. And I went, whoa, was that a wet fart? And he goes, no, I don't think so. And I'm looking in the diaper and on the changing table. I'm like, weird, just a really loud toot. The next day when the sun actually came (laughs) out and we looked, she had shot poop (laughs) with no trail just shot it it splattered against the wall and then it dripped all the way down the wall i was finding poop in weird places for months oh my god what about you gosh where hasn't griffin pooped i think my funniest poop story for him so he he was pretty early to potty train um so he was maybe not yet two he was like one and a half we were we had been like pee trained for a while but like poop was touch and go but you know live on the wild side let's take an hour drive without a diaper on why not why do we do these things and you know i'm driving on 219 in tucker county which is like super rural you know and he screams from the back seat poop i have to poop you know so i like screech over it's like a two-lane mountain road one of the ones where people from who are not from around here go like 20 miles an hour on but the speed (laughs) limit is 60 um (laughs) you know so like screech into this gravel pull off like cars haphazardly parked all the doors open you know run back get him out just in time pull his pants down and he has like the most explosive diarrhea i've ever (laughs) seen in my life 
And of course, immediately <laughs> two cop cars drive by while I'm like holding him in the squat and he's like shooting shit across the <laughs> gravel. <laughs> and I'm like, don't turn around, don't turn around. Like, like you know, mentally willing these cops not to come. Of course they turn around. Oh, And no. of course they park right behind me. But the way everything is angled, like, they're coming around the back of my car and they all they can see is me, like my back. And I turn around and I see them turn the corner and immediately their faces just melt into this disgust because the smell of this poop heather oh, no. was I mean, it, it was, it, you know, when your toddler takes that shit and you're like, I don't know who fed you what, but, like, what yeah. the fuck came out of your butt? <laughs> it was one of those. And these two dudes just like, oh, God, they're mad. And they're like, mom, can you, do you need help with anything? And I turn around and I have this shitting toddler in my hands who is still pooping. And I'm like, I do not need help. Thank you very much. And they're like, okay, and, like, run away. Wow. <laughs> That's his superpower. Our kids are going to kill us for this someday, by the way. <gasps> Sorry, Griffin. If Sorry. If you're 16 someday listening to this for, I don't know why you would, but I'm real sorry for your explosive shit moment. But it all turned out fine. Mm-hmm. So Callie says, for Maureen, what are you most excited about and most anxious about when bringing <sighs> home baby number two? God. Great question. I honestly, I this is like the lamest answer. I'm just excited to not be fucking pregnant anymore. Yeah. I barely I do not have excitement for anything else at this point. <laughs> like I oh, this is like the most depressing answer, but seriously, this I, this just sucks so much. I'm done with it. I'm just excited to not have an infant in my body. Like this is not cool anymore. Eviction time, we're done. I don't even care what happens after at this point. Don't care how you get out. I just want it out. And I did not feel this way last time. I'm so sorry. And I think I think I'm most anxious about the first like 2 weeks postpartum just the severe sleep deprivation that I went through last time. It was like so scarring. Mm. <laughs> and theoretically like wow we've lived here longer and have more friends around and blah 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 and we should have more support except we don't because it's a pandemic yeah so actually it's gonna be pretty much just the same me and my husband except now there's a (laughs) five-year-old great (laughs) like not super excited about it guys actually it could be awesome we'll see yeah i mean you're two hours from me so just tell me in advance and i'll come down and i'll Steal Griffin or Something. the baby or you and the baby. <sighs> It'll be okay. We'll check in with her in like four weeks and she'll be like, it's amazing. I'm a new woman. I I've, know. My, I'm eating my neighbor, without indigestion. My neighbor just had a baby and she's like that. And I'm like, oh, I love, hate this right now. <laughs> <sighs> well, Callie has a follow-up question. Oh, okay. Callie asks... Why is my almost four-month-old randomly starting to spit up after every single feed when she's never done that before? Uh, Probably because she's starting to get a little bit more curious. Mm -hmm. Maybe she's eating faster because she's getting good at it. Rolling over more. Yeah. Kneeling, crawling. Probably mostly positional. Usually we see this really pick up a lot more when they get on hands and knees and start doing the rocking back and forth thing or crawling where they will eat and then they can't wait 
they don't want to snuggle as much. They want to yeah. eat and go play. And that tends to happen a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But really, we don't care about spit up unless the baby is losing weight yeah. or refusing to eat because they're in so much pain. Right. Yeah. Pain and weight loss are the big ones. Other um, than that, grab a rag. Yeah. Sorry. It's not the fun answer, but it's it's the truth. Spit up is, it just happens. They're on an all-liquid diet, and they got these little sphincters that are just working so hard. Just, they're just loose sphincters. They are. <laughs> it just doesn't sound nice. <laughs> you wouldn't like it either. I have a hate-love relationship with the word sphincter. Oh, let's see. So Allison asks <sighs> us, are either of you having any more babies? <laughs> Allison, I hate to disappoint you. She has all these cute emojis after it. I, I think the answer is no. Yeah, we're going to be a no, too. And here's the reason why. I started when I wasn't quite ready, and I've been chasing my ass ever since. And I feel like I've done an okay job, but this is the first time in my life that I'm kind of getting to a point where I can choose to not be insane all the time. You know, not constantly scrambling, because my whole life has just been scrambling as I moved into adulthood and parenthood at the same time. So... I think I might be okay with being done. Of course, there's like a 2% chance that, I mean, whatever. And my husband's going to be 41 this year, which, you know, he's tired. (laughs) I would not have a baby at 41. More power to you if that's your choice, guys. But (laughs) She's so pregnant right now. Don't ask her. (laughs) Don't ask me this question. I'm like, I'm 31. You know what? I'd love it. I'd love it if when my kids are 18, I have enough energy to do anything. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I don't know. And my husband and he, my husband's like, we really need to be thinking about retirement and like, oh my god, you know. So we're we're almost actually at that phase, and I don't know. I mean, whatever. Uh, yeah. Most people are having their kids later these days, but I don't want to space mine out too much because I like to close certain chapters and then start new ones and not drag it out but who knows who knows my birth control could fail i might get a wild hair up my butt as soon as i hold maureen's baby who knows guys but let's move on to the follow-up questions yeah (laughs) allison also says have you thought about making a book or audio book yeah just now yeah (laughs) well heather already has like a handbook yeah, I wrote a book last By year. Yeah, um, it's a breastfeeding handbook, which is great to print out, or you can have it just in the ebook and use it for your whole breastfeeding journey. It covers birth to weaning, so you can actually get that on my website at www.breastfeedingforbusymoms.com under the shop section. But audiobook might be cool. You know, we might be able to put yeah. together a little compilation of these episodes into a book format. I don't know why anyone would pay for it if they could get it for free here, but... (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure one day we'll do something like that, but this is not the time to ask me about taking on more projects. Oh, my God. This person. (laughs) Okay, so Sabrina says, do the new period panties I keep seeing ads for actually work? Oh, hell yeah. Um, Never tried them. Always wanted to. They're great. I I mean, I, I don't know about every brand, but... Yeah, you know, somebody was just telling me they watched the history of tampons on TV the other day. That sounds I awful. I don't know if that's on Netflix, but I would I'll really like to watch, to watch it. it. Let's watch it. I mean, because, you know, we know that there's bleach in them and all kinds of stuff that we're absorbing through our vaginal I tissue. <laughs> I just had to search and search and search to find, like, bleach-free pads for after having the baby. And I was like, seriously? I'm in, like, three aisles of menstrual products, and there's one, one bleach-free option? Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing is, I 
had a second degree tear after I had Heidi and I had a repair. And what I found was the pads, like the giant pads that I actually needed, were very irritating to mm -hmm. my stitches. And actually, one of the stitch ends got kind of stuck oh, no. in the pad. Oh. And pulled it out. Don't like that. <laughs> so I really like the idea of the thinks, well, thinks or any of the yeah, period panties. I'm, I'm trying to remember. There was something people didn't like about the thinks, and I don't know if it was that they didn't have a really wide range of sizes or oh, something, maybe. but there are a lot of options now, and they are great. Cloth pads are also great. I mean, I really like to use them. Um, I don't actually use pads a lot, which is why I had to buy some for postpartum. I was like, oh, I have like four cloth pads. That's not enough. <laughs> um, I usually use cups, but I am just gaga over reusable menstrual products. Yeah, I need to try a new cup because mm -hmm. I bought one of them. I don't even remember what brand, <laughs> honestly, but my cervix is tilted because my uterus yeah. is tilted. So you need a shorter cup probably. Or that Something. long, skinny one. Uh -huh. I don't know. I think most people don't have that issue with fitting the cups. And just a couple of people are like, I can't figure it out. My cervix is here. Or it moves a lot or it's really low. I don't know. Honestly, I got really lucky. I was 17. <laughs> Damn, you've been married that long? Yeah, and I went to college. Or no, I just turned 18. Or I don't know, something. I, I was a young college kid. Um, And... Yeah, like the local health food store had them, and um, my friends and I were like, let's all get cups. And the first one I tried worked, and I used it for 10 years. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, mine was like $35, so I was like, yeah. man, I don't want to have to buy six of them before I find the one I like. Yeah. But I also don't want to put bleach tampons up in my body. Yeah, but anyway, back to Sabrina's question. Yes, they're great. You should try them. Some people don't love them for the heavier days. But especially for the lighter bleeding days, people really love them. Yeah, nothing worse than putting a tampon in on a dry day. Oh, God. <laughs> or even a cup on a dry day. You're like, I kind of got to lube this. Oh, God. Oh. Why? Anyway. <laughs> okay, Caitlin says, what got you interested in the lactation field and what is the certification slash schooling process like? What advice would you give someone interested in pursuing a career in lactation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Heather. Heather's a little jaded on this right now, guys. I don't know if you want to hear her answer. Uh, I'm not, like, <laughs> jaded. Yeah. Here's the thing. The more I get into this, the more mad I get on a macro level. Yeah. I'm not mad at people at all. I'm upset that the system is not set up for you to succeed unless you find somebody like me or like Maureen or you're lucky enough to have somebody in your area at your hospital or your local WIC office that actually has hours available to mm -hmm. see you. So I just, you know, yes, I love it. It's so rewarding. My one-to-one -one clients that I work with, uh, I love getting to know them. I absolutely love being able to see babies on Zoom all the time. <laughs> I used to be in person, which I also loved in person. But, you know, being able to initiate real change for people, families, like in just whole families change when the breastfeeding relationship yeah. gets better. And I've seen that over and over and over again, and I'm so blessed to be able to be a part of that. But the more I get into this, the more I'm like, Heather, in order to make a real change for all people, we need to go bigger. You know, we need to really get this in middle schools. 
or earlier. We need baby dolls that come with boobs instead of little bottles. Mm -hmm. We need government to be involved in making sure that lactating parents are celebrated for the work that they're doing and actually see it as work. You know, there's a whole list of things that I get fired up about, and none of them have anything to do with me not liking people or working with people. It's just that it's so important, and it's going to be my life's work to make sure people know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think what got me interested in going into lactation was my own experience, which, you know, like gets a lot of people interested in helping others when they didn't have help, you know, mm-hmm. mostly the only person I had to help me was my midwife. Who's great, but it's not her specialty. She also had a lot of trouble breastfeeding. So she was really reassuring, but not that practically helpful. Mm hmm. And I think what really, really got me to sign up, too, was when I had thrush for, like, three months. I saw that picture of your boob. It was horrible. Oh, yeah. I sent I sent Heather a picture because I'm like, look, I have this great example of a depigmented nipple. Oh, it was mine. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's, it's, like, the most horrifying picture ever. I'll put it on Insta. Yeah. I'm please. kidding. <laughs> Just show the world. No. Um, anyway, but, yeah, it took me a long time to get to fix that because, you know, my pediatrician was like, well, I don't know, you know, I haven't really seen this before. It's not really classic thrush. And I tried to see a lactation person about it. And there is one IBCLC who worked at WIC in three different counties. And sometimes she was there on Thursdays and sometimes it was Tuesdays. And it was just like, I couldn't get in to see her. And that was it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then her boob fell off. Right. Right. Then I basically wanted to cut my nipples off. Um, (laughs) But I didn't. Anyway, I fixed it all, (laughs) my own ingenuity uh, and persistence, and that was stupid, and I should have had to. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, I think it was, you know, obviously I had a hard time with my first as well, you know, with all his issues, being a 36-week jaundice, Mm low-sugar, low-temp baby. But more so doing my midwifery clinicals Yeah. and seeing my midwife in her clinical schedule, getting jammed up with people that had lactation problems. Because you guys don't understand, you're supposed to see like 30 to 40 people a day. And you're lucky to get 10 minutes with a person. And all of you out there can imagine that you can't fix or even go through a feeding or education Mm -hmm. or anything in 10 minutes for a lactating parent issue. I try to do a minimum hour visit with people. Half an hour can work. Mm -hmm. But like... Depending. It depends. If that baby doesn't feed in that half an hour, that doesn't work. I need, you know, we have to see that happen to assess what's going on. Yeah. And I am always the person that's rooting for the underdog. I've always been that way. Like, I hate bullies. I love the underdog. And when I'm doing these clinicals and I'm constantly seeing these people not get the answers they need despite the provider's best intention. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times. That's even more frustrating too, right? Yeah. When you're like, you're just an asshole doctor. Right. That's fine. Right. <laughs> you have an enemy. But when the enemy is the entire institution, it's a lot harder to fight. Right. And so, you know, I kind of at that point was like, oh, I see a need. I'm going to fill it because that's just the kind of person I am. And the deeper I got into it, the more passionate I became and the more change I saw being made in these families. And I was like, oh, I mean, this is it for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I have to fix this for people. But, you know, the slippery slope, the slippery (laughs) slope. Yeah. But, but, you know, practically how you might go about that, there are a bunch of different certifications. It depends kind of where you're starting as to how you should advance. 
like Heather and I have different certifications. And it, I think it's pretty obvious to most of you now that that actually doesn't represent like our knowledge or skill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just kind of represents where we started. Like Heather started, she was already a nurse when she wanted to go into lactation. So it made the most sense for her to pursue the IBCLC, the International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. Mm-hmm. Because being a nurse, she already had a bunch of the prerequisites. You kind of just study and take this big exam. And consultant is different than counselor. So like a lactation counselor is one thing, but as a consultant, I'm the person that's specialized that a physician would refer somebody to as a consult. Like Mm -hmm. they could refer to anybody, but they're probably most likely going to refer to a consultant if it's an issue that's so serious that they can't fix it themselves. So, you know, I also, as an advanced practice nurse, can prescribe. So that's the other thing that makes most sense for me is that I can receive these consults and then I can actually treat for things like mastitis or yeast or things like that. Um, and maybe even a little bit of postpartum depression screening, like as my, that encompasses my advanced degree as a nurse, I'm able to do that. That's within my scope. So it kind of gives me a little bit more free reign to treat the person in more than one way, other than just like, you know, um, how to hold your baby positioning and all that stuff's really important. But, um, the IBCLC takes a long time. Uh, it has, clinical hour requirements, a lot of which I was able to use for my midwifery clinical. So I was very lucky there. And also from my experience as a labor and delivery nurse working with breastfeeding families. Yeah. And that's another reason that route makes sense if you're already a healthcare practitioner. Right. And for me, uh, let me think, it was 2018 or 17 or something when I started this. The only certification I had was a doula certification. And that doesn't really, (laughs) that's not really a prerequisite for anything except understanding childbirth, which is great. Um, So I pursued the CLC, which is the Certified Lactation Counselor. And that's still what I am today. I have not seen any value in advancing that. But that's a really good place to start as like a layperson. It's a simple course, a simple exam. You know, you can get all the requirements done in a week, but it gives you the really good starting like jumping off point for you can turn it into a career you can use it just as an accessory to a job you already have you can use it for yourself and your family it's it's money but it's not prohibitively expensive Mm -hmm. um you know there are lots of scholarships out there for it now a lot of places are even offering it online like it used to be you had to go away for a whole week but with covid (laughs) things are a little more accessible Mm -hmm. and you know let me just say that the certification doesn't really matter yeah, so much. Yeah, like I said, like it's not like I'm like, well, Heather, you're the IBCLC, so you must know. That's not how it goes. No, but there are some people out there like that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, for for me, if, no matter what, if you're working with a lactation consultant or counselor and the vibe you're getting is not good or you are feeling in your gut that their advice is not good, it might not be, regardless of their certification or training because you have to do clinical at some point or you're learning with somebody who has done it before you. And a lot of these apprentice kind of things mm-hmm. tend to leak down through the generations of people that are learning. So if the person that taught you treats for yeast every time, even if that's not the cause of nipple pain, you're going to be more likely to treat for yeast that doesn't exist. So 
Luckily for me, I am actually in a position in my life where I have a lot of different kinds of healthcare providers that I work with regularly, and I have spent a couple years bouncing ideas off of them, referring, consulting, plus I read a ton of research. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the big part, right, is like all of these certifications, and there are more than we mentioned. There's CLS, there's ALS, there's a whole bunch of stuff. They're kind of all just academic start jumping off points, you know. If you don't stay up to date on your research, mm-hmm. you're not going to be a good lactation counselor, mm-hmm. you know. If you don't pursue clients and work with people often, you're not going to be helpful if you don't have that experience, you know. Like Susie Q and I could take the same exact class and be completely different lactation counselors at mm-hmm. the end of it. Yep. There's some bad ones out there, just like anything. Yeah. So it's not the end-all, be-all. You know, I I would venture to say that anybody is going to be better than nobody if mm-hmm. you're struggling with a, a breastfeeding issue. But get to know people. Ask your friends who they would use, who they have used, because word of mouth yeah. is really... That's how I get most of my clients. I'm really yeah. like, I just mostly use my knowledge in my midwifery practice. Mm-hmm. But I do see lactation clients sometimes you Mm -hmm. know just for lactation and it's always someone who said oh you know so and so who you're friends with mentioned I should call you and they should have because you're awesome (laughs) thanks (laughs) so anyway so do it I hope hope that answered I feel like the seal the CLC or LC Mm -hmm. or anything like that should be just like a class you take in high school (laughs) yeah why is it not I don't know you know, isn't I mean, this all um, information actually, everyone should have? Can I correct this? I think that should be a class doctors have to take. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they don't. And they don't. Like we talked about before, uh, it's basically like an elective <laughs> if you want to learn about lactation as a doctor. Oh, her final question was, <laughs> what advice would you give someone interested in pursuing a career in lactation? Oh, I honestly, the easiest way to pursue a career in it is going to be to work for a larger organization. Like it's hard to do on your own. It's really hard to make money that way. It's really hard to bill insurance for lactation. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, working for somewhere like WIC or a hospital or a clinic, that's going to be your best bet. To get you to where you need to be, to get yeah. the test paid for, to get, I mean, the IBCLC I mean, just test to, is just like to make $700. a career out of it. Like, you know, you ha- it's, it's so hard to do on your own. It is. And I, I'll be honest with you all, I don't take insurance anymore because I did for a year and it was horrible. And you've fucking lost money i lost money <laughs> like and and that shouldn't they uh, they rob you like guys, this is why i have get so mad to say about this one day we'll do a whole episode on insurance and no one will listen to it <laughs> yes but we will feel very vindicated afterwards <laughs> cathartic yes okay yeah. let's okay. move on moving on um oh this is a funny one Steph asks is it normal for a breastfed baby to want to eat when they need to poop <laughs> uh she said that her baby Demands to eat, gets super fussy, cries, and then poops. One time when I was four, <laughs> I ate three apples in a row and then vomited all over my dad. Was it the apples or was I eating the apples to make my stomach feel better? We'll never know. Yeah, it, it is normal. Like, you know, some babies actually just do need to kind of like stimulate digestive movement to poop a little bit easier or like their tummy hurts a little bit. And eating is comfort, so then they want to eat, and then turns out their tummy hurt because they had to poop. It's all connected. Your mouth is directly connected to your butthole. One big roadway there. One tube. It's actually like the outside of your body that's in the inside of your body is your digestive system. Wait, what? 
it's it's basically part of the outside of your body. It's an open oh, tube. Yeah. All the way down to your butt. I've never thought I don't like that thought. <laughs> I don't like Sorry, that. Everybody else like, that feels the same way. Me out. <laughs> Danielle says most embarrassing thing that's happened while breastfeeding. Uh, oh, pro- I mean, this is kind of sad, but I think some people okay. will relate to it. I was maybe breastfeeding for the second time ever in the hospital, and the anesthesiologist walked in, and I didn't cover up. And my ex-husband, um, after he left, after the anesthesiologist left, he looked at me and he said, do you respect me at all? Oh, and I no. said, what? And he was like, at least have the decency to cover yourself. And I was like, That's what? Sad. That's not embarrassing. I was so not, like, mentally present. I didn't even think about covering. And it was like the initiation of shame with breastfeeding Aww. for me, which I've unpacked now. And I clearly see that yeah. that was not a good situation. But I was embarrassed, too. Right, well, right. In so you felt many embarrassed ways. instead of feeling like he was an asshole. But I think a lot of people's embarrassing breastfeeding situations mm-hmm. are actually shame. I know. I think that's why I have trouble answering that question because I don't I think I've done a lot of work to feel less embarrassment in my life. You know? Yeah. Because it is really just um, shame that, like, other people put on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't... I mean, because your kid will do weird stuff to you, but that's not embarrassing. It's no. hilarious. <laughs> no. And I, I've totally had the situation where my, like, 18-month-old child, um, like, took my breast out of my shirt without me even noticing, <laughs> you know, which is just, like, funny to me. Oh. I, didn't, I wasn't even that embarrassed. I was like, oh, well, help yourself oh anyway. You know? Well, when I had Heidi, new husband, you yeah. know, awesome husband, um, I was breastfeeding in a cluster phase, you know, shortly mm-hmm. after we got home, and people kept coming over to bring us stuff, and the doorbell rang, and I got up, and I almost answered the door, and my husband goes, babe, boob. The boob. Put the boob away. It was, like, completely out. I just did not even think to put it back in. So, he, you know, that became the running joke for the next year. Like, is your boob away? Did you put your boob away? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. They just hang out sometimes, guys. Welcome to the burbs. Yeah. (laughs) It's just how they are now. Okay. So, oh, this is a great one. Maggie says, what's one breastfeeding myth you believed before you became an LC? Huh. That's a good one. I think I really strongly believed the whole, like, hydration is milk supply. Yeah. I think I strongly believed that my small breasts were the reason why I couldn't produce milk the first time. Mm -hmm. Although I did produce milk. Yes, you did. You know, so, like, hindsight is 20-20. It was fine, but the whole feeling I had the entire time was that my small boobs had let me down, you right. know, when really it was, like, a process problem. Ooh, you know what I also really believed? That because I couldn't pump anything, it meant I didn't have enough milk. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, by the way, I was not pumping at work or anything. This I was just, like, randomly trying mm-hmm. to pump with no idea what I was doing because I thought maybe I needed some in the freezer. Yeah, you know, I never <laughs> once changed my pump parts. <laughs> Guys... We have learned so much. I've come a long way in my life. I, I know. And you will too. I now realize that actually, like, while I have, like, totally normal-sized areolas, but I thought they were really big at the time, my nipples are, are probably, like, 17-millimeter nipples, and I was probably using, like, 24-millimeter oh, flanges. Easily. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. 
But, you know, they didn't have specialized small flanges until recently. Fairly recently. I think that I definitely could have found a better fitting one, though. Yeah. <laughs> These 32s? Yeah. I know somebody the other day was talking about their, you were, you, they were using size 30. And I was like, I don't want to shame you like if your nipples really are that big. But I'm not sure I've actually ever worked with somebody but one time whose nipples actually fit that. Mm-hmm. So can you measure? Like, just, just reassure me. Measure twice, cut once. Right. <laughs> Don't cut your nipples. No. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> so Lauren says, is it common for breastfeeding yeah. people to have their nipples spray like a shower head during feeding yeah. slash letdowns? And can forceful <laughs> letdowns regulate and become no longer forceful? Yeah, uh, it is totally normal. <laughs> it's also normal for that, like, not to happen all the time. Like, I don't think that happened the first couple months I breastfed. And then all of a sudden, for a couple weeks, I'd, like, kind of, like, lift a boob and it would be like, <laughs> See, mine was the opposite. Mine was totally the opposite, where it would spray like crazy in that first six weeks where I had more than I needed. Right. But then as it kind of regulated, it didn't do that as much. And it can change. I think generally it gets better as they get older. So, yes, it's normal. Yes, it can change. It's really a lot of it is just about the oxytocin response in your body and how strongly that affects those muscle cells on the ducts. And it doesn't mean you have an oversupply. No, it doesn't even mean that... You make enough milk for a baby. I mean, it means nothing other than at that time of the letdown reflex, those muscle cells, like, squeeze real hard. You got some really strong boob muscles. Yeah. Good job. Good job. All right. So this one, also from Lauren, says, What three nuggets of wisdom would you pass on to a first-time pregnant person related to breastfeeding or not? Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, God. <laughs> Are you sure you want to go there? No, I know. I think it's good. I think it's good. Okay, I'm going to be honest. That's just who I, I am. I think one of the big things that I really hammer home with my clients is to prepare for the postpartum not to just be two weeks, but to be a year. Mm-hmm. Prepare for the next year of your life to be about essentially gestating an infant on the outside. <laughs> Prepare for the first three months to essentially be like the fourth trimester of your pregnancy. And and really keep your expectations very, very low for that. And take time to enjoy it, certainly, you know, and take time to love what's happening. But really don't expect yourself to bounce back. Don't expect yourself to lose weight. Don't expect yourself to run back to work and love it. I agree. <laughs> I agree. And also, I think one thing that would have helped me more than anything Mm -hmm. is to understand that you are the boss. Yeah. Period. End of story. With everything to do with your parenting, your feeding style, your relationship, who you spend time with in the postpartum period, what you eat, how you go about your daily business. You're the boss. Mm -hmm. Just because this little person moved in with you doesn't mean you have to act like you moved in with them. (laughs) And, you know, work together, you and the baby. But, like, if someone is telling you, I feel like you and the baby are a team and you're leaving me out, it's like, yep, well, sorry. You know, it's not that... It's not that it's you doing that to a person. It's that person trying to figure out how to fit in 
to the picture. Mm -hmm. And that's largely their responsibility to figure out how that happens. It's not because you have a baby and now suddenly it's your job to make everyone feel comfortable about your new life and your new body and your... No, this is what's going on with you and everybody else can figure out how to be okay with it and figure out how they fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, So you are in control. If you're doing something that has been the way it's been done forever and it's no longer serving you, you are very entitled to cut it out. Yeah. And that includes people, jobs, yeah. hobbies, mm-hmm. mindsets. Yeah. Yeah, all of that. So, Facebook. Yeah, whatever. Social media, all of it. You are the boss of that situation. Mm-hmm. And that would have really, really changed my entire being. Yeah. I, I think a good one to add on that is partially focused on breastfeeding, but does kind of apply to the rest of, like, babies and pregnancy and all of that. Don't let self-doubt convince you that a problem exists when it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, we see this so often with breastfeeding, you know, and lactating parents. Someone Someone will say, oh... I just heard about high lipase in milk. Do I have high lipase? Do I have to scald my milk? And then they freak out or it's the four milk, high milk thing or something else, you know? And, and I just have to sit there and say, if no one had ever told you about this, would you be worried? Mm -hmm. Was there anything else that indicated something was wrong? Mm, Can this be the look at your baby rule? (laughs) When someone's like, there's something wrong. And I go, okay, really quick, look at your baby. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, literally look at your baby. What are they doing? Well, they're sleeping. Oh, they're they're fine. They're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and it works in pregnancy, too. It's like, oh, you know, I stood up too quickly and I felt my heartbeat rushing in my neck. And now I think I'm having a pulmonary embolism or something, you know. (laughs) And, like, I get calls like this all the time. And I'm just like, if you'd never Googled that, how would you feel right now? But usually it's because somebody they know (laughs) just had a grandma who had a pulmonary embolism. Right, you know, or it's something like that. And I get it. It's human nature to really... Focus on fears and focus on the bad things because when we, when we do that, we survive, right? Our brains love to remember and focus on the bad stuff because if we never forget those, then when we encounter them, we're going to survive them. That's true. I get that. <laughs> but also, if you only focus on that and you let your kind of primitive lizard brain run away with the bad things then you're never gonna <laughs> you're never gonna lower your cortisol levels. You're never mm-hmm. going to relax. You know, especially if your worry is all in your head and you're not like running away from something. <laughs> right. And on those same on those same lines, when you feel like something is wrong and you schedule an appointment with your pediatrician and they're unsure or they give you a recommendation or maybe start you on a medication that has, oh, you know. use grape drops. Or yeah, use bullshit. grape water or, <laughs> you know, gas colic drops, you know, Ugh. that aren't grape water. Or we're going to start your baby on Pepsid. My follow-up question for those clients is always, when did the doctor schedule a follow-up? Mm-hmm. And if they tell me two months. Yeah, like your doctor I- doesn't think you have a problem. Right. And I said, don't you think if your physician was that worried, they would see you in a week? Yeah, it would be a week. For for babies, when I have a concern, a week is the maximum I want to see between appointments. Mm-hmm. All right. We have one last question. Okay. Okay. From Amanda. Well, it's a couple questions, but 
She says, what role do you think vitamins play in milk supply or diet in general? And then her example, which maybe is different from our general answer, she has an iron deficiency. Could that play a role in low milk supply? Ooh, ooh, pick me. Oh, Heather in the front (laughs) with the green shirt. (laughs) Please. Um, So iron deficiency anemia can definitely play a role in milk supply. Period. Yep. Like you, milk is made from blood, and if you're anemic, it means you don't have as much blood, and also <laughs> it means that your body is kind of feeling like depleted, yeah. literally. And and that's the big thing with vitamins and diet with lactation is if you have a true deficiency that is actually making it harder for your body to function normally, then it can affect your milk production. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing as vitamins. You know, luckily in these developed countries that we live in, most of us do not have crazy amounts of vitamin deficiencies where we're like, we don't have scurvy anymore. <laughs> not really. Do we? We don't. Every once in a while, I'm sure somebody comes into the hospital yeah, with scurvy. Not, not regularly. Yeah, no, not regularly. Because the government sneaks vitamins into all kinds of nasty stuff that we eat. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, thank you, government, for making sure that I, happens. I and mean, and, you know, like our crappiest flour is fortified with minerals because they took everything out of it. And, you know, it, it's it's pretty easy to get the minimum required nutrients these days. And that doesn't mean everybody's going to function well with that. But, you know, over-the-counter vitamins work. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I I think that homeostasis, in every sense of the word, is going to help with milk supply because your body is not going to have to steal the nutrients from other places Mm -hmm. in your body if they're readily available in your bloodstream. But in general, like dietary, you know, the diets that we eat, other than affecting, if other than if you have a real deficiency, it doesn't really affect milk supply. In general, we tend to say. Eat as healthy as you can, but your diet isn't going to affect your milk supply overall. It does change the micronutrients yeah. in the breast milk. So on a macro level, it's pretty much always the same recipe that your body will make every time. But right. It's kind of do... like the basic keep this baby alive recipe. Right. But, you know, we will see in people that are generally healthier, that eat a well-balanced diet, that have pretty even sugar levels in their mm-hmm. blood all the time, we will see a more interesting and vibrant micronutrient profile in breast milk. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you all know how much we love Liquid IV at this point at the Milk Minute podcast. But we're going to tell you all over again, we want you to make your water work harder. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that's great tasting, has five essential vitamins and minerals, and three times the electrolytes of a sports drink without the added sugar or artificial anything. Ah, so good. And the company gives back whenever you buy from them. They donate to communities in need. Yeah, so if you're watching your hydration, or even if you are one of those pregnant people that throws up all the time, like this (laughs) one over here. It's a good way to add in some extra nutrients, and also, you know, just like, make your water taste more interesting. Yeah, I know. It's kind of nice to mix it up from time to time. So anyways, head over to liquidiv.com and enter promo code MILKMINUTE for 25% off and free shipping. Ooh, free shipping. What do you got to lose? Nothing. So, yeah, let's give ourselves an award. Yes, awards in the Alco, everybody. Go to Maureen and Heather this week. Maureen, can I give you one? Yeah. Can you give me one? Oh, I have to be creative now. Okay. No, you don't have to. On the spot. (laughs) Best friend award. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. I'm going to give you the Instagram award 
because you have really oh. done a great job of keeping our Instagram profile alive and well because, guys, that's not my thing. So if you're on Instagram with Milk Minute Podcast, milk underscore minute underscore podcast, uh, that's Maureen. So Thanks, shout out Heather. to you. Thanks for being our Instagram queen. Well, I think I'm going to give you the the go-getter award because I have no oomph to make things bigger or better or brighter right now and everything is Heather when she's like let's do something new and I'm like what the fuck ever I don't care anymore (laughs) that is all Heather guys the oomph award (laughs) my husband would probably agree you and him can start a support group for people that have to deal with my oomph all the time no I'm saying I appreciate it (laughs) yeah because otherwise I'd be like whatever Heather was asking me about expanding and I was like can we just get to 100 episodes first (laughs) you just need to deliver that baby check Instagram for a baby pic anyway pat on our backs Thank you guys so much for sticking with us through 50 episodes. We have spent so much time and energy that we wouldn't honestly spend any other way. We have so much fun doing this with you all, and we can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, thanks for sticking around, and thank you, Heather, for having the oomph. No, thank (laughs) you. Well, listen, uh, share the podcast with a friend if you don't mind, and leave us a review because that's how we keep this thing going. All right. See you next time for episode 51. Totally do. Thanks for listening to The Milk Minute. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, and review our podcast wherever you listen. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash milkminutepodcast. To send us feedback, personal stories, or just to chat, you can send us an email at milkminutepodcast at gmail.com. It's a milk minute. Yeah.